today as we have gathered here. Uh, today's going to be different. I mean, and, and I just want you to understand that today is going to be a different kind of, of worship gathering, uh, only in the way that we do it. Now, we've gathered here, and, and, um, and this is a special time. It's a special time every time we gather together as the people of God. It's a special time because God is the one who has formed this family of faith called First Norvik. He's the one who has created us. He's the one who has rescued us from our sins, guilt, and shame. He's the one that's brought us into this particular family of faith called First Norvik. This is what God has done, so it makes this gathering time a special thing. I pray to the dear Lord that we would not take something holy that God has made special because he has created it and call it something that belongs to us. I cringe every time uh, I hear somebody say, you're not going to do that to my church. You're not going to do that with my church. Well, it's not your church or my church. It's God's church, and we need to remember that. You're not here as a virtue of your membership. You're here as a virtue of God's calling. And that's, that's, that's me too. I mean, God brought me here and made me part of this family of faith. Isn't that good news? Amen. I mean, for all of us, not just me being here. All of us, right? That's all of us, right? Uh, I, 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 I won't even go down that road. But anyway, um, and when we get here and, and, and when we gather together, it's a special time. Now, it's not a special time because of the room. I want you to understand that. It, uh, uh, the psalmist said, Psalm 20, 27, verse 4, it says, uh, the psalmist wrote, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and this is what I'll seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his holy temple. Now, the psalmist talked about the temple, and really what he was saying in Psalm 27, is, it, verse 4, is I want to be in the presence of God. I want to I be in his presence. I want to be uh, awed by him and, and encounter with him. And, and in many ways, that's what we do when we get here is, is we're saying, I want to be in the presence of God. But make no mistake, God's presence is not here because of the walls around this building. God's presence is not here because of the sermon. God's presence is not here because of the songs we sing. God's presence is not here because of the stained glass. God's presence is not here because we have pews rather than chairs. God's presence is here because God's people are here. What makes this a sacred time, a special time, is not the room. It's the people. The church is gathered. When we say we go to church, we should be thinking of the people that we get together with, not the building that we hang out in. It's a special time. What makes this space sacred is the same thing that makes that foyer sacred or the, or the parking lot sacred or, or, or the field sacred or the street sacred. It's when God's people get there. See, it's the Spirit of God who resides within us, not in a building because God's Spirit is not contained in an edifice made by human hands. If you want to know where I get that truth, that's from the Bible, both in Acts and in 2 Chronicles. But, but 
what that means is we're here today, and this is a special time because God has gathered us here. You're here on purpose. Now, it might not be the same purpose that you thought you had when you got here, but God has a purpose for you being here. He's gathered you here with God's people so that we might focus on Him, so that we might set our gaze upon Him, so that we might, so that we might worship Him. The essence of worship is not a song or a music or a message or a talk. The essence of worship is where me, a sinner who's been rescued by God's grace, sets my focus on the one who has saved me, and I can't stop talking about how good he is. That's worship. Worship is where I set my mind's attention and my heart's affection on the living God who has rescued me from hell. That's worship. So today, we're here to worship. And communion is one of those avenues that God has given us to focus our worship intentionally. Uh, Communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist, uh, the last supper that the Lord had with his disciples that we are to uh, participate in. This this is what we're about to take. And, And as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, it's worship, not ritual, not just some religious exercise. And that's really kind of why we're going to do things a little bit differently today is because I don't want this just to be a religious exercise that you go through and that's it. What a useless waste of your 30, 45 minutes to an hour. I pray that Jesus invades your space today so completely that you have to say, oh my goodness, he is real. I pray that he would nourish your soul so completely that you say, I can't make it without him. I pray that he would take hold of your heart and your circumstances. And what that means is we're going to have to put some things in their proper place. See, worship is all about Uh, us focusing on Jesus. But if we're focusing on Jesus, that means we've got to put other things in their proper place. You come into this room and you've got cares and concerns and anxieties and fears and worries and troubles. You've got uh, wounds on your soul. You've got sin in in your life. You've got selfishness that saturates your thoughts. You've got all those things. By the way, I've got them too. The only difference between you and me at this point is that I have dealt with this now at 8 o'clock and at 9.30, and I get to, I'm I'm a little bit ahead of the game at 11 o'clock. That's the only difference between us right now. We all carry these things, and, and I'm not saying those things aren't real. They are very real. You got doubts in your life, you got concerns, you got chaos going on in your world, you got struggles, you got fears, you got anxieties. I'm not saying to ignore them or act like they don't exist, they do exist. Worship, however, helps us put those things in their proper place. So let's see if we can do that as we focus on communion, as putting things in their proper place in our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of believers, and he was trying to help them understand exactly what the Lord's Supper as an act of worship was all about. And and so he kind of paints the picture, and I want us to start there. We're going to start in verse 17 and, or verse 23. And, and, and I just want us to walk through this all the way to verse uh, 29. And then, and then, and then we'll talk a little bit more. It says, uh, the apostle Paul's writing, this is writing to real, real believers who had real problems and real struggles. And they were a mess as a church. I mean, they were a mess. 
Um, so he wanted to get worship right, and one of the ways to get worship right was to make sure that communion was right. So here's what he writes, verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and and then let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So as we look at these verses, I, I, want us to, I want us to kind of go on this journey today, a journey of worship. And, and I know this is going to seem pedantic to some, but my goodness, it is so important as the family of faith that we get this right. So we're going to go on this journey of worship, and communion is going to be kind of the anchor for it. With communion as the anchor, here's what we know. We're supposed to do this in remembrance of, of who? Of Jesus. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're supposed to do this in remembrance of Jesus. He's the focus of it. So before we do anything else, I want us to do the best we can. Let the Spirit of God help you and set our focus on Jesus. Let's, let's just set our focus on Jesus. This is not the only time we're supposed to. We're supposed to do it every single day. That's the way we're supposed to live with our focus on Jesus. It's, it, it, it's, it's what I, I quoted a couple of weeks ago, Colossians chapter 3. If, if, if you've been raised with Christ, Paul wrote Colossians 3 chapter, one, chapter 3 verse 1. He said, if you've been raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is now hidden with God, with Christ in God, with God in Christ. If, if Christ, or when Christ, who is our life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. So what he's saying is, your life is centered in Jesus. He is your life. So set your focus on him. Set your gaze on him. That's it, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the writer of Hebrews says... It says uh, uh, that, that we're supposed to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that's been set before us. Then verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2, he says, and let us set our gaze upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who are we supposed to be looking at? Who? Jesus. Now, we're supposed to do that in life. We're definitely supposed to be doing it in here. So everybody close your eyes. And we're not going to do some meditation thing. But what I've discovered is many times when, I, when I'm in a place that's familiar, and this room is very familiar to me as it is to many of you, and, and, and many of you are sitting in the same places where you always sit. We've shaken it up with a little bit with the deacons up on the front row. But, 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 but many of you are in the same spots, and, and, and so with all this familiarity around you, sometimes it's, it's easy to get distracted. 
And so I've discovered in my own life that if I'll close my eyes, I can get focused. Now, as you close your eyes, even in a whispered prayer to the throne of God above, will you just say, oh, God, help for me not to be distracted with anything and to be focused on Jesus. See, we need to focus on Jesus if we're going to praise him, if we're going to adore him, if we're going to worship him, he's got to be the object. Now, the the challenge for us is that we have so many other things that get in the way. Even now, you may be thinking, I'm not going to close my eyes because people are going to think I'm weird if I close my eyes. Well, how would they know? Or I'm not going to close my eyes. That makes me feel uncomfortable. I know, I know we all need to feel uncomfortable, though. You may be thinking, well, I I can't believe he's asking us to do this. He's a weirdo. Or, I, I, I can't believe he doesn't have a jacket on. Look at all those other deacons with jackets on. He doesn't even mind him wearing a jacket. See, see all these things? That, or, or maybe you're thinking about, maybe you're thinking about oh, I, man, I'm hungry. I need some food. Or maybe you're thinking about, I don't know how I'm going to, you know that bill that came due on Friday and I still haven't paid the bill and I don't know what I'm going to do about that. Or maybe you're thinking about, well, I don't, you know, I, I'm just trying to, you've already tuned everything else out. All these distractions get in our way. And they center around either sorrow, selfishness, or our own suffering. We get get consumed with with sorrow or suffering, and and it really becomes hard for us to to stay focused on Jesus when all this pain's going on. Or maybe it's selfishness, and and we're so consumed with ourselves that we can't think. By the way, you can't focus on yourself and, and worship Jesus at the same time. You can't do that. In order to worship Jesus, you have to not focus on yourself. You have to focus on Jesus. Or maybe it's your sin, and sin gets in the way, and we'll talk about that in a second. So, so today, as you close your eyes, just set your focus on Jesus. Now, think about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that, that your, your suffering or your sorrow or your, your selfishness or your sin are, are things that don't exist. I'm not saying pretend like none of that's real. I'm saying, yes, that is very real. But we've got to put all those things in their proper perspective. And that is at the foot of the king, Jesus. If we're going to worship Jesus, we need to worship him as he is. He is the king of the cosmos. He is the creator of the universe. He is the captain of my salvation. He is the Lord of my life. Are you worshiping Jesus? You set your focus on Jesus. Yes, he is the good shepherd, but the good shepherd will pound me on the head every now and then with his rod and his staff in order to protect me. Are you focused on Jesus? Jesus is the one who leads me, but I've got to follow. Are you focused on Jesus? Right now, set your focus on Jesus. You say, well, I've got all these worries. I've got all these struggles. I've got all these wounds. I've got all these problems. I've got all these sufferings. I've got all these things going on. I can't focus on Jesus. And that's what I'm saying. Worship is reorienting your mind and your heart to set your gaze on Jesus first And then let all those other things get in line behind him. 
It's not for nothing that, that Paul wrote in Philippians. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will then guard your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. You want to navigate through the sorrow, the suffering, the sin, the circumstance of your life. You want to navigate through that victoriously? Let me tell you where to begin. You begin with your head and heart bowed before King Jesus, and you see him, you focus on him, and he begins to show you that he is greater. I mean, he's greater than everything you've got to deal with. He's greater than everything I've got to deal with. He's greater. He's greater in power. This is the one who took my sin to the cross and killed it. This is the one who was buried dead in the grave and rose victorious beyond it. He is greater in power. He is greater in love. There's nothing in me that deserved Jesus dying for my sin. There's nothing in me that, that, that garnered his grace or merited his mercy. There's nothing in me or in you that said God should take care of me. Jesus should leave heaven's throne, be born in a manger in a stable, live a perfect sinless life, and die on a cross for me, a sinner. There's nothing in us that deserves that or demands that. The only reason we get that is because of his great love. No greater love has anyone than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for you, for me, out of love. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the payment price for our sin. Greater love, a love that's greater than my problems, a love that's greater than my pain, and a love that's greater than my sin. He has a love that is greater. And he desires to wrap you up in that power and that love and give you the life that he has created for you, a life of joy and peace and purpose and power and meaning and hope, hope. But we got to set our gaze on Jesus right now. If you focus on Jesus, do you see Jesus beyond your pain, beyond your struggle, beyond your sorrow, beyond your wounds, beyond your suffering, beyond your sin, do you see Jesus? Can you set your gaze upon him? As we focus on Jesus, we also need to examine ourselves. See, again, putting things in their proper place. Jesus is the king. That means you and I are not. We need to put, our th- put our, ourselves in the proper place. The apostle Paul wrote in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 27, he, 27, 28, and 29, he said, Hey, guys, before you take communion, you better examine your heart. Now, again, understand, this communion meal is is for those who have already been rescued by God's grace. There's nothing about the crackers or the juice that's going to make anybody saved. There's nothing about the wafer or the the liquid that that, uh, dispenses grace of any kind. It's just crackers and juice. That's all this is. But it serves the purpose of awakening us to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And if you are here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you have been rescued by his grace 
And you have seen the king of glory die upon a cross, bearing the shame and the guilt of your sin. And here's the question. God, what's in my life unworthy of Christ's sacrifice? In fact, right now, we don't do this enough in the church. We don't do it enough in in this church. I know you do it personally as I do it personally. I know we do it. Uh, when we gather together personally, as, as, as I do it personally, but, but today, formally, in this place, before we take communion, will you examine yourself? And will you say, oh God, anything in my life unworthy of Christ's sacrifice, I confess it as sin and I turn from it today. I lay it at the foot of the cross and I turn away from it never to pick it up again. Right now, take time and confess your sin. Now, I, I, I would say you can ask the question, is there anything unworthy of Christ's sacrifice in my life? And, but, but the answer is yes, there is. See, here's the thing, and, and remember, 1 John says that if, if anyone says he is without sin, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. That, that, that means we've all sinned and we all are have the guilt of sin stain, and, and even now we're battling and raging with sin in this place. So we're struggling. We're struggling with sin and, and struggling with the pain of it. And right now, we have a tendency to rationalize our sin, and I'm the king of rationalization, but please, let's just l- let go. All those silly machinations of trying to look religious, and let's Stop playing games and let's just come clean before the throne of God's grace. Will you take the time right now and confess? Whether it's the dark sin or whether it's the, the little light gray sin or whether it's, it's, it's a sin of the thoughts or sin of the, uh, of the mouth or sin of the mind or sin of the action. And, uh, no matter how you've, you, you've, you, you've categorized it, will you go ahead and say, Jesus, this is the sin. It's unworthy of you. And before I take this meal, I'm going to confess it and turn from it. Right now, will you confess your sin? Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Praise him. He's ready to apply the the soothing salve of, of his forgiving love to that wound that your sin has made in your soul. He's ready. But you've got to come clean. And we've got to come clean before we take the meal. Right now, will you confess your sin? Oh, God, I'm a sinner, and here's my sin. Will you give me some time to list it? Sin of my mind, sin of my words, sin of my actions. What happens in worship is it comes full circle. And, and if we begin in worship, setting our gaze on Jesus, focusing on him, bowing before him, submitting our life to him, giving him all ownership of everything, and, and setting aside uh, my own selfishness or, or, or my own 
worries and concerns, putting them in their proper place. If I, if I set my focus on Jesus first and then examine my own heart and, and, and see those places in me unworthy of his sacrifice on the cross then, and, and confess it as sin and turn from it, then what begins to happen is he, he begins to nourish my soul with his presence. See, here's, here's where the nourishment comes in for you and me. This is where worship comes full circle for me and for you is, is as we've bowed before Jesus the King and submitted to Jesus the King and surrendered to Jesus the King, uh, as we focus on Him and, and hear His correction and, and hear His, His, His truth and, and, and see His Lordship over us in that moment that we bend to Him and bend the knee and bend the heart and bend the life to Jesus, then He begins to nourish our soul. That's my prayer that today that, that we would be nourished by Jesus in worship. He, he nourishes us. He, he saturates us with His Spirit and awakens us to see His powerful love. He begins to uh, sing the, the love song of his, uh, of his rescue over us, and, and it drowns out the, the anxious chords of chaos uh, caused by our circumstances or things out of our control. He, he, begins, to, he begins to feed us peace. Not, 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 not just say, here's the plate, eat. He, he begins to take peace and shove it in our soul. He begins to say, here I am, I am your peace. Here I am, I am your joy. Here I am, I am your strength. Here I am, I am your life. Will you be nourished by Jesus today? See, this is what this meal is about. This meal is about giving us a tangible expression to a supernatural activity that God is doing through Jesus. The crackers are just cracker and the juice is just juice. And it's Baptist juice to boot. Doesn't even have a kick to it. The supernatural has already taken place and that God by His Spirit is has, has awakened you to new life. He's made you a brand new creation through Christ. And now as we rehearse and remember and celebrate what Jesus has done for us, he begins to nourish us again. He says, hey, listen, you trusted me to rescue you from the pit of your sin. Now, trust me, I'll take care of you on the rest of this journey. Cling to me and I'll lead you to life. Hope in me and I'll never let you down. Jesus speaks to your heart today. Will you trust him? So now, Father, as we take communion, I pray that you would nourish the souls of your people gathered here in this place and that we would find our joy in you today. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As our men pass the elements, I want you to take the cup and take the wafer and think on Jesus. Just focus on Jesus. Not anything else. Just focus on Jesus and worship him. Our deacons pass the elements. I want us to just hear from God's word about Jesus. So take the cup, take the bread and hold it in your hand and think on Jesus 
writer of Hebrews says, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But Jesus, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us after he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds I will write them. And he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of sin, the offering has been made. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, And having a high priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the custom of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Jesus, our high priest, who has made intercession for us. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of of the grace by which he made us accepted, In the beloved, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both things which are in heaven and things which are on earth. In him, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed 
by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of God's glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the the eyes of your understanding might be opened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among those who believe, among the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? His mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And God put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. And I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and what is the length and what is the depth and what is the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. My prayer for us here and now is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. May he nourish our souls with Christ's presence. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples and he took the bread and he passed it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. And in the same night, after the supper, he took the cup and he passed it. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that is our mission. Our mission is to proclaim 
the good news of Christ's saving love brought to us through the death of, of Jesus on a cross for sinners like you and me. We are to proclaim this wondrous good news so that others who are far from God might find life in Christ. So as you leave, it's my prayer for you and for me that we would proclaim the gospel to those who are far from God every single day, that we would find someone that God has laid upon our heart to share this good news with, that they can find life through Christ. But before we leave, I, I do think it's important, especially as we worship the Lord. You see, worship is always, um, it's focused on Jesus, but then it turns into response. There's something about worship that calls for our activity, our action. And you've already participated in many ways, but I, I want us as a church to get together and pray. See, one of the pictures of communion, this small table is really our family table. All of us as followers of Christ, this is our table. This is, this is the family meal, and, and communion shows that we are together, brought together, formed as God's family, not through our own will, but through the will of Him who saved us and brought us here. So we're going to pray together, and, and we're going to pray for three things. I'm going to ask you to pray with me for three things. First, I, I ask you to pray for those who are uh, struggling through Hurricane Irma right now. And there are people undergoing fear and terror and, and just an overwhelming sense of loss. Will you pray for them? Pray for God to show His glory among them. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to continue to pray for those who are surviving the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. And pray for our teams who are already there, who are uh, shining the light of Christ's love and being the hands and feet of Jesus and helping those who are hurting. And, 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 but pray that, that God's glory and good news might reach the hearts of those who are hurting. So first, pray for those struggling through Irma right now and, and pray for those who are surviving Harvey today. And, and third, I I'm going to ask you to pray for our church, First Norfolk, as we continue to share the gospel in the seven cities of Hampton Roads and even around the world. Pray specifically as we look to expand to this, uh, this uh, Volvo venue. Uh, we're going to have a Campus Catalyst meeting next week, uh, next Sunday night at 5, and talk about this new campus that, that we have had on our radar screen. And and we're moving to a, a multi, back to a multi-campus uh, ministry model. And, and so uh, will you pray that God would use uh, that next satellite ministry model to, to, to help us share the gospel with those who are far from God? And you pray for us as a church. We've been looking for 100 people to come to faith in Christ over 100 days. We're about 70 days in or eight, uh, no. 30 days in or 40 days in, and uh, we, we have about 50 people who've come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's awesome, but, but, but will you be a part of this journey of helping just one more cross that line of faith and become a follower of Jesus? And you pray for us. So we're going to pray together. Those three things. Now, here's where it becomes a little bit more unusual. I'm going to ask everybody to stand, and everybody uh, 
hold hands with somebody next to you across the aisles and everything. And if you're averse to holding hands, grab an elbow or a shoulder. So everybody stand. Cross the aisles. There we go. All right. Now, we're going to pray. And this is where it gets even, this is where the lack of comfort ramps up a little bit. Okay. Now, the way we pray in our church, our tradition is is, uh, you have uh, one person pontificating while y'all pray silently with your heads bowed and eyes closed. And so you got one professional prayer or public prayer, and everybody else prays in their heart. And I, that, that's okay. I, I'm, not, I'm not denigrating that. But do you realize that the majority world prays differently in a corporate setting? In fact, Old Testament prayer praying was usually different than the way we do it here. It's about way we're about to do it. And, and probably the New Testament church prayed the way we're about to do it. But certainly if you go to church in China or Africa or East Asia, you will hear praying like this. Now what it is, is everybody's going to pray out loud at the same time. This is you participating with the body of Christ, voicing with us, with others, your prayer to the Lord. And you might say, well, it's going to sound chaotic only in your ears. In the halls of heaven, it is going to be glorious. So I'm going to start us out because we're not accustomed to this. I'm going to start us out, but when you hear me stop praying out loud, it's time for you to start praying out loud. Father, right now, hear the prayers of your people as we lift up these requests. Now, be glorified as your people pray. Now, Father, as you hear your people praying and continuing to pray, I pray, I beg, O God, for you to saturate our souls with a vision of your Son, Jesus. That you would, by your Spirit, even in this place, at this moment, help for us to see Jesus and how he is our rescuer. He is everything. He is all that we need, our strength, our hope, our joy, our satisfaction. And God, help for us to see the new life we have, all because of this wondrous love of Jesus that came to die for a sinner like me. Oh God, I pray that even now you would help for us to be nourished by your presence because of this powerful love that led Jesus to open his heart and pour out his blood to forgive a sinner like me. May we be captured with this vision of Jesus.